Birthday Biography Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive lasting impact. Today, September 29th, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of adventurer Anne Bancroft. So I just want to clear up real quick for a second that we are not talking about the fabulous actress Anne Bancroft. We're talking about the fabulous adventurer Anne Bancroft. And if you don't know the fabulous actress Anne Bancroft, check her out as Adele Larson in Home for the Holidays, my fave role of hers ever and the best Thanksgiving movie ever made. Today, we're going to be looking at our second pioneering female adventurer this month, our first being Junko Taibei, the first woman to climb Mount Everest back on September 22nd. Anne Bancroft, the adventurer, is definitely in the same rarefied air as Junko, having been the first woman, along with her co-adventurer Liv Arneson, to cross the 1,717-mile landmass of Antarctica, and she was the first woman to cross the ice to both the South and North Poles. I like to think that one day Anne and Junko's souls will get together for coffee and share all their adventures. So Anne was born in Mendota Heights, Minnesota. Mendota Heights is a 10 square mile southern suburb of the Twin Cities, known as the best kept secret between St. Paul and Minneapolis. She spent much of her free time canoeing and camping with her parents and three siblings. Adventuring was just sort of part of her nature, as was leading her siblings and cousins on wilderness expeditions around their home when she was as young as eight. These outdoor excursions were a joyous contrast to the challenges of school. Reading and writing and math were all challenges for her, despite being very bright and capable. Her teachers and her parents did their best to support her, but there just seemed to be something off. When she finally finished fourth grade, her father became inspired by the formation of the Peace Corps and decided to relocate the family to Kenya for two years to work as a social worker. His wife planned to work as an English and a secretarial teacher to help local women prepare for the workforce. There was typical pushback from friends and family, insisting that it was too dangerous to move to Africa with young children. Back then, it was referred to as the Dark Continent. Thankfully, Anne's father did not listen to anyone, and they relocated for two years. Anne recalls her time in Kenya as an absolute wonderful time, saying, It was a grand adventure that shaped the lives of our entire family. I was at a perfect age. I was the second oldest, and when you're in fifth and sixth grade, you remember things, people, and places, and smells. But at the same time, you're not too old to go bounding into the bush. After finishing up sixth grade in Kenya, Anne and her family moved back to Minnesota. She started up at a very academically challenging private junior high, and it was an extremely unpleasant experience as Anne found that no matter how hard she worked and studied, she still struggled in all of her classes. Being a teenager, she tried to pretend that everything was fine and to play down her difficulties. Thankfully, two of her teachers noticed something was amiss and suggested to Anne's parents that she be tested for dyslexia. When the test showed that she did indeed have dyslexia, Anne's parents were glad to have finally found an answer, but Anne was crestfallen, feeling like she was now going to be marked as different than her peers. As this took place in the late 1960s, there was no special education classes or real support available to children with learning differences. So things like tutoring and summer school were attempted, but they didn't do any real good. Even worse, the subjects that she really enjoyed, like sports and music and art, she was being denied these because they were seen as non-essential, and tutors used these classes to pull her out for cram sessions. There was now nothing worth looking forward to at school. By the end of her sophomore year, the school gave the family two really ugly options. Either she repeat the 10th grade, or she would move on but would graduate without a diploma. Anne's parents decided to move her to another school, and thankfully she was able to once again enjoy all of the extracurriculars that made school tolerable. She did manage to graduate high school, but her GPA wasn't great. Anne made it into the University of Oregon, but couldn't complete a teaching credential right away due to her low grades. Sidebar, 
As a teacher of almost a decade, I think most schools place way too much emphasis on grades. Grades show one slice of the whole gorgeous rainbow spectrum of a child, and they should be weighed as such. Testing falls into the category as well, in my opinion. As one of my graduate school teachers told us about standardized testing, you don't fatten a cow by weighing it. End of sidebar. So Anne's dreams of being a teacher were being smudged out by the GPA requirements, and it didn't help that her academic counselor told her to cut out her favorite sports activities to study more. Dear teachers and educators, if your student and child is struggling in an area, do not punish them by removing the one thing they actually find joy in. If your kid or your student is struggling, they know they are struggling, they feel bad about it, so removing the one thing they feel good about is counterintuitive and just plain not helpful. Thankfully for Anne, a high school coach gave her a recommendation and she was able to complete her teaching credential and start her career teaching special ed and PE. She would teach for four years until a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity opened up for her, and being the clever woman that she is, she jumped at it. There came an opening in a group of people going on the Will Steger International North Pole Expedition. Will Steger is an Arctic preservationist and a champion dog sledder, also from Minnesota, who leads dog sled expeditions into the frozen terrain of Antarctica and Greenland and Canada and other areas that require conservation. After 56 days on dog sleds, she and a group of men reached the North Pole. This made her the first woman to reach the North Pole by foot and sled. This sparked an awakening in her as to where her destiny lay, and she stepped out of the classroom to devote her life to exploring and making exploring accessible for children. She founded the Anne Bancroft Foundation in 1991, which seeks to uplift and support girls in Minnesota through grants and mentorship. She then partnered her foundation with the Wilderness Inquiry Group, which she teaches at. Wilderness Inquiry helps families, able-bodied and disabled, to go on outdoor adventures. In 1992, the year after she started the foundation, she led the first all-female expedition to the South Pole, reaching it on skis. In 2001, she paired with a Norwegian adventurer named Liv Arneson and set off for Antarctica, becoming the first woman to ski across it. She and Liv paired up again to travel across the Arctic Ocean, being followed by millions of schoolchildren around the world in a quest to raise awareness of global warming. Unfortunately, they had to cut the trip short when Liv got frostbite in three of her toes, and the extreme cold sucked the life out of the batteries in much of their necessary equipment. I'm going to do one more sidebar right now on frostbite, because I love weird medical things. I think when we think of frostbite, we think of someone whose like, nose turns blue and like maybe a little icicle forms on it if it's in a cartoon, but it's actually incredibly gross what happens during frostbite. We know that frostbite happens when a body part is exposed to extremely cold temperatures for prolonged periods and the tissue actually begins to freeze. Your pointy edges of your body are the most likely to be affected. That's your, your toes, your fingers, your ears, and your nose. And it's guessed that about 40% of mountaineers and explorers experience frostbite at some point. Frostbite itself has actually played a fairly significant role in the history of the world, as have a lot of diseases. Is there a diseases in history podcast? I don't know if there is. If there is and you know about it, please send me a link. Anyways, frostbite and related issues from freezing temperatures have stopped everyone from Hitler to Napoleon from invading Russia. I guess it's hard to be a standing army if your toes keep falling off. So frostbite is divided into two categories, and each category has two degrees of severity. The first category is superficial frostbite, and first and second degree frostbite falls into that. First degree frostbite is non-lasting damage, numb skin, maybe a little bit red, and in a few weeks the skin may fall off, but it'll grow back. In second degree frostbite, the skin gets hard and blistery and then turns black and peels off. You may have lasting cold sensitivity and numbness in that area. The second category is considered deep frostbite. Deep frostbite can be third degree, 
which means that the tissue under the skin actually freezes. You develop blood blisters and your skin turns blue and gray, and this turns into a black crust and you may have ulcers forever. The worst is obviously fourth degree, and that's when the frostbite goes beyond the skin and spreads throughout the tissues and the bones and the muscles and the tendons and stuff. The skin turns all hard and loses color and it later becomes black and mummified. How permanent the damage is takes about a month to figure out, but often this results in something called auto-amputation, which means that the affected body part just detaches from the rest of your body and falls off. So wanted to share that for anyone that was like, oh, they stopped their trek due to frostbite? How bad could that be? Your body part falls off. That's how bad it could be. All right, end of sidebar. So Anne founds the uh, Bancroft Arneson Explorer Access Water in 2015 with Liv Arneson, her fellow Arctic Explorer partner. They gather together with a team of eight female adventurers and environmental conservation from each of the continents, except for Antarctica, to start a global movement for clean water education and accessibility. So Anne is in Minnesota, right? She represents North America. Liv represents Europe from her home in Norway. Um, a conservationist named Anna Maria Ateniza represents South America from Peru. Monica Nikina Saro represents Africa from Kenya. Olfat Haider represents the Middle East from Israel. Krishna Patil represents South Asia from India. Zhao Zhao Hu represents China. And Lisa Te Hui Hui represents New Zealand. So together, this whole international group of powerhouses are coming together to make clean water accessibility a reality for countries and communities around the world. In 2017, Anne switched it up a bit and she did a two-month trek down 1,500 miles of the Ganges River for the Access Water Initiative series, which aimed to bring attention to the lack of clean water in developing countries. Her and her team are planning similar treks on every continent over the next decade. There's a really cool uh, three-part documentary called Inside Bill's Brain, Decoding Bill Gates. The first episode of the three is just on the clean water crisis in the third world. Very sad, very scary, very eye-opening. Give it a watch. Anne still lives in Minnesota. She's openly bisexual and has publicly spoken out against attempts by state and federal legislators to block same-sex marriage. In 2005, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame and named one of the greatest polar explorers in history in 2011. My sources today were the Anne Bancroft Foundation, the Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity, and good old Wikipedia. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Anne Bancroft. Please join me tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and life of Wilhelmina Drucker, pioneering Dutch feminist. See you then.